Hello and welcome back to the History of Video Gaming podcast. Joining with me again is Wes. How are you, Wes? I'm great. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. We're here. Got some great things to talk about. We're wrapping up 1974, finally, after, what, like five, six episodes? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while on 74. I know. So, um, I was thinking about how we might be able to wrap up 74, you know, and I was thinking, oh, maybe we should do like a little you know, wrap up special topic of our favorite games and least favorite games of 1974 since we've spent quite a few episodes on it now. But I thought, you know, we can't do it now because we're still talking about 1974 games later in this episode. So why don't we talk about all the games that we thought were the best and the worst games from pre-1974 in this episode to set us up for like, you know, a little award thing for next episode. So yeah. I think we should get right into it because I feel like we're going to have a lot of rants to go through. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we should definitely start with our... I can already our, guess uh, your uh, least favorite, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start with our least favorite. Well, So this is between episodes one, one to eight. So anything before 1974 is fair game. And also, I wanted to add that this isn't just like based upon our ratings, you know? This is more just what we remember and what was memorable to us looking back, you know? So yeah, it's a little bit more bias of a award show. I guess we could say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Wes, your, your least favorite game or games from before 1974, what do you like still look back and you're like, that gives me pain. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say when I was looking through, I was surprised because none of them, I really looked at and I was just like, man, that was an awful experience. The, uh, which good. is good, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the one I was thinking about, I didn't end up picking it for my least favorite, but I looked at Nimrod and I was like, man, that's not fun at all. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like then I saw it was May of 1951 and just kind of skewed by the fact that it's like this crazy showcase of what computers could do at the time. I'm like, eh, I don't want to make that my least favorite. Yeah. So instead, I decided to take a shot at the Magnavox Odyssey. Oh no! And I put handball as my least favorite. Oh wow! Why handball? Well, you know, I think it did it did pong, but a bit of a different swing on it. But I feel like none of the Odyssey games were like super great, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. And I think the some of the extra weird stuff that they did with like the haunted house and like even the absurdly complex football. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's part of what made it interesting because like there was this weird board game aspect and <laughs> these weird overlays, which I guess aren't really part of it being a video game. So I don't know, maybe it's not fair to judge it based on that. But something about handball, it just kind of seemed really uh, bland to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really boring, especially because you, you had at that point already played tennis for two, table tennis, like a bunch of other ones. Right. Um, that were in that vein and then you're like handball and you're like this is i've already played this like twice (laughs) yeah i don't think it did enough to make it different for me and by that point i was tired of the english and the magnavox and (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was uh Uh, that was in episode five by the way so that's uh when did that come out that was 72 yeah it was a sold separately of the odyssey but yeah so yeah that was our second odyssey episode in a row so i could definitely imagine getting over it by then (laughs) (laughs) 
I was I was thinking of picking a haunted house, but then I was like, no, that one was too. Even oh, though that, I feel like that one was okay. It, yeah, I liked it, it correctly, but <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, just because I couldn't play it correctly, it was so weird that like he kind of got to love it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but so that was it for me. I only ended up picking the one. But what did you have for some of your least favorites? Yeah, so. I think everybody knows where I'm going to go here, but <laughs> I do want to say like two games that I, I didn't think were very good, like uh, as almost honorable mentions of the least favorite, and that's dishonorable mentions. Yeah, dishonorable men. That's a good one. Dishonorable mentions. <laughs> one of them is the next game after yours in our in our timeline, volleyball. Uh, okay, from the Magnavox yeah. Odyssey, because uh, the whole time I played that, I'm like, this isn't like volleyball. Why is my character ten feet in the air and just chilling there? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one was not good. And then also, I know you mentioned football and kind of like like in the overlay, but football and baseball, I think, were almost unplayable. <laughs> or they made yeah. it. Well, so I didn't bad. play either of those. So I have a bit of a, a nicer memory of them than you do. <laughs> yeah. Football was basically unplayable. And then baseball, if you did house rules, it would have been a great game. But you basically had to just ignore half of what they wanted you to do. <laughs> right. So. I don't know. I thought those ones were kind of dishonorable, but yeah, the number one least favorite has to be Hammurabi. I mean, of course, <laughs> this is a text-based management game where you have like a thousand things a wheat, and you have to decide: Am I going to plant some? Am I going to feed some people? Or am I going to buy some land so I can plant on it later? And oh my god, is it bad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. It's like. It's total math. There's like no gameplay, and yeah. there's RNG like <laughs> random events that happen that give you plagues and destroy your crops. And you're like, "What the hell? I didn't do anything." <laughs> and it just happens. Like nothing you can do about it. So I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but whoever did, <laughs> they need to not make another video game because <laughs> it was terrible. So yeah, Hammurabi. Yeah, Strong feelings about Hammurabi. Yeah. I knew that was going to be tippy top of the list for oh, you. Yeah. And I, I guess I could say also thrown in there uh, Lemonade Stand, which was from our sixth episode. That's right. Yeah. Which is basically that was just like same Hammurabi. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, Except you're doing it with lemonade. Yeah. So, um, which it probably was more, you know, hopeful than watching people starve to death. And <laughs> right. Yeah. They just don't buy your lemonade, but. <laughs> there was also rats in Hammurabi. I mean, oh my god. Yikes. Rats can eat your tra- crops. It was terrible. Okay, I feel like I got a lot of that. good games. I was like, oh, I can't really say anything bad about them. And you're like, oh my god, where do I start? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, well, we played some great games too, though. So why don't you get Absolutely. into your, uh, your top three? Do you want to do like a three and then I'll do three and then two and two and one and one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. I was just wondering. You've got to save the best for last, though. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, so my three is a little bit of a weird one because I don't know if I'd sit down and play it again, but like, I love that it exists, and that's Trek 73. Okay, cool. And it's like part of the reason I love it is also part of the reason that I probably would never play it is that it's just so incredibly complicated. <laughs> but I think it's awesome that there is this game where somebody was like so into Star Trek that they're just like, we have to give them like, all the options of how to maneuver their phasers and their missiles and how to fly in this like 3d space that you're just guessing at because it's a text game. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely think if like a well animated, like modern adaptation of this, but with like all the crazy complex battle options, 
that you have in uh, Track 73 was made now, I'd probably sit down and play that because I do like the choice. It's just in the text environment and having the tab out to look at the rules and the different moves I can make made it a bit uh, hard to get into. But definitely on my top three just because it's such a cool concept, I think. Yeah, and if it's right into your space game obsession. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I tried to not pick too many space games, but who am I kidding? I love space games. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good one. So what do you got for your uh, number three then? So for my number three, I picked Elimination. And this one was a really hard one to pick because I think there's a couple that could have gone in number three. And Elimination isn't even my favorite like Elimination game because later <laughs> in 74, Wipeout comes up which is just a better form of elimination. But right. I think elimination is the best Pong clone that we've played ever um, so far. So basically you've got a four player version of Pong. Each person's on one side and each person has a certain amount of lives for their, their side. And when they die and lose all their lives, their side becomes a hard wall that then That's the right. ball can bounce off of. So you just end up with these games where you might have the last two people are like the guy on the top and the guy on the right. And then that creates a really interesting dynamic of, well, I have to shoot the ball to a certain angle or, you know, try harder than just hit it back in the general direction of where it came from. So I really like that. And I also really love the fact that every time you pick a different side, you could get a very different you know experience playing. Like if you're on the bottom, that might feel very natural to play but if you're on the right hand side you might be it might be really hard to play there but because of that maybe you've got better angles on other people or something so i just think it's one of the better pong i think it's the best pong clone that has come out it it made enough changes to be unique but still had you know the the core pong mechanics in there so yeah elimination that was in our seventh episode and it's funny because I was scrolling through, looking at the ones that kind of popped out to me just by name, and Elimination was one of the ones I remembered because I was like, oh, I remember Ben like really liking this one. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> Eliminations by Key Games, by the way. So uh, Atari basically did that. Got it. What's your number two, Wes? All right, yeah. So for my number two, I had one of the ones you played, actually, and that was Space Race. It came out in July of 73. And even though I didn't play this one, just the way you were describing it, I feel like it sounded super cool and different from any of the other stuff that we had been playing at that time. Uh, just kind of like dodging at- asteroids in like a Frogger-esque style and racing a friend at the same time. So there's that competitive aspect. Mm-hmm. And also I really liked that like wavy, high-pitched uh, noise that played as you got closer to the top of the screen. Yeah. And just overall, it just seemed like a really unique thing for the time so i thought that one was a really cool one yeah that was uh, atari's second game which came out in 73 so yeah july of 73 that's a that's a really really good one for and my, is my uh inkling yeah. right that uh <laughs> that might show up somewhere soon or we'll have to wait and find out <laughs> all right all right <laughs> so, uh, for so, my um for my second favorite game of the pre-1974 era we gotta go back to star trek for the 1971 version which is the version i played yeah reason why i wanted to pick this one is like i feel like you know when a game is good when the longer you play it the better you are at it and you can tell you're getting better and more familiar with it 
Yeah. Because it kind of really gives you this sense of like, oh, I could, if I kept playing, you know, one more game, one more mi- like move or whatever, I'm going to get faster, I'm going to get better, and I'm going to go farther. And you don't always have a progression curve like that in a lot of these early games. <laughs> Especially right. when these, when you know, Hammurabi gives you plagues for no reason. So it's really hard to do, <laughs> to get progression in games like that, but not in this one. And although the controls and how to play was pretty clunky and hard, you know, there's a lot going on. It was still simpler than your game, Trek seventy three. Right. And because of that, after a certain amount of time, I started to get to get familiar with all the actions I had available. And really start to move through the universe and feel like I was playing Star Trek. So that was really cool. It also had ASCII characters. So, you know, have a text-based game in 71 that had that. There's very few games that even in 74 have ASCII characters. So, Right, a lot of just, them are still, the text ones are still just text-based. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, it's a very important game and had a lot of innovations for the time and I just thought it was probably the best computer game that I had played. So, yeah. That one did have the... I know Trek 73 was much more focused on the battles, mm-hmm. and it was just battles. But that one, you could also traverse the galaxy, right? Yeah, you could. The battles were a little bit different. I don't remember too much about the combat, honestly, but... Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it was a like you didn't have to calculate ang- angles and stuff. It was more like you've encountered one enemy. You know, are you going to fire your missiles or your torpedoes or whatever so right and if you fired them it was just like it hit you know so i feel like that definitely be up there for me if it was one i had played too because that sounds like a kind of a perfect middle ground from like the complexity you get from trek 73 but still having like just enough complexity that you can really feel like you're gaining more skill the more you play it yeah i mean the star trek 71 it was more focused on exploring the galaxy so half the time you would get into a new quadrant or whatever and you wouldn't even find anybody there just be empty so it had a bigger bigger like exploration sort of element to it which was pretty cool and also because of that the ascii characters which was kind of like what your local quadrant looked like it always changed and always felt very unique wherever you went so that was really cool too so without further ado wes what is your number one I was going to say drum roll, please, but you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got to, I'm curious. Do you have a uh, guess for what my number one is? Part of me really hopes it's, uh, I really hope it's Oregon Trail, but I don't know if that's, a, that's what it is. <laughs> well, Ben, you just hit the jackpot because oh, my number yeah. one game is Oregon Trail. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was looking through it and just like the one that I read the title. And I just like smiled, like looking at it. I was like, okay, yeah, that definitely is like a good sign of like the most fun playing. So this one was, I mean, we've been talking about how a couple of ours were 73. The last one you had, I think you said was Trek 71, right? Yeah. And this is also one of the older ones that we played because this was in uh, December of 1971. Mm-hmm. On um, our third episode, I mean, both, both yeah, and it was, and it was early years. on. And it wasn't just after uh, Nimrod and Birdie in the Brain. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was, there was like a 15-year gap there, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this one, I, something about just knowing Oregon Trail and never having played the original, but having like an expectation of what playing the original would be like. Mm-hmm. And it was just like exactly what I wanted that expectation to be. Like, I just got like totally 
destroyed by these obscure random events, but in a fun way, unlike Hammurabi. <laughs> and uh, there's still some strategy and decision-making where you're choosing how many supplies to bring, how long to travel, what you do when you encounter people, and just a lot of different scenarios that kept it interesting over multiple runs where I feel like a lot of earlier games at that time, it kind of got stale because you were just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. One of the other ones I was thinking about nominating just because I liked the theme of it so much was High Noon. Oh, yeah. But that had the problem of just getting a little too stale, whereas like I feel like you could still play Oregon Trail like 10, 20 times and be having a decent bit of fun with it. Yeah, I mean, it had random events, right? Like, so you could... It did. Yeah, I was, was I was different. Yeah, and there's definitely, I'm sure you'd be able to figure it out like after a while, but like just the four or five times I played it when I was getting ready to do the podcast for it, I had like violent illnesses and had to go to the doctor and I had like snake bites, but then I lived through the snake bite. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, getting to type bang really fast and smashing enter so you could try and shoot the bandits uh, before they shot you. Yeah. I think that's hilarious, <laughs> and added a little bit of like a interactive to a like text based kind of strategy game, basically, mm-hmm. and just the uh, I don't know, just kind of like the feel of Work and Trail, and like the ridiculous stories that you know are going to come out of an Oregon Trail run. Yeah, yeah. Just overall, I, I was looking back and I'm like, that's definitely the top. Yeah, I, I felt. Think, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I think of all the games that you've played. Oregon Trail is the one that I want to go back and play the most. I still haven't right. done it yet, but I still really yeah. want to. Oh, you definitely got to check it out because then you can tell me like what crazy things happened to you that might have not even happened to me on my runs. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the the tippy top for me. Uh, part of me felt a little like a uh, sacrilegious for not including Pong on these uh, top three, but I know as much as I I like Pong, I felt like it was a bit too easy, and it's not like. I wouldn't go back and play Pong now. Like I understand how irrelevant it is, but it isn't my like sit down and have a good time kind of game. Yeah, like it's fun for a little while, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be investing hours in the Pong. But you could play. I feel like you could play Oregon Trail for quite a while. Exactly. Yeah, especially some of the newer iterations of it, like Death Road to Canada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I gotta know what's uh what's your number one, Ben? Well, do you have a, a guess on mine? Well, I feel like because we talked about the fact that we might have accidentally picked the same thing in one of our top three, I feel like it could be Space Race. Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. We know each other too well. <laughs> I know, because we didn't even share this before we started recording. But <laughs> but yeah, Space Race, I, why I love it so much is I feel like it's a game that I want to see made today, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It really is just like a multiplayer kind of Frogger type game. And that means you've got these, like, it's very high risk, high reward, where you, you really want to go as fast as you can and, like, just get in between two quick asteroids quick before, like, you're, you know, your opponent is wait, sitting there waiting and you're trying to catch up. And that can result in a lot of really fun and interesting moments and intense gameplay. So. The racing aspect of it against another human is what really makes it. And, like, as you mentioned, the sounds are really ahead of its time because at this time, I think Pong was the other only other game that had come out with sound, and that, you know, sounds nothing like Space Race. Space Race is way more advanced. 
in terms of the sound and uh just having that sort of revving engine type type sound along with you going up on the screen it was like just really good so yeah i i really like space race i think if someone re- remade this for like their college game or whatever today it would sell i think it would sell yeah yeah it's funny that you think about how like iconic and popular frogger is and there probably is a version out there but none of the versions i like remember or i ever played were ones where you got to race somebody while you're doing it and that's just like a whole other aspect that you're like that would totally work in this type of game <laughs> it's just and space like space race did it <laughs> i know because it's just like if you're thinking about frogger and how you know you might have like an opening that's a really small opening but you're like oh i guess i'll, I'll wait I'll wait for the next opening but if you're racing somebody you're like maybe i'm gonna take that you know and right you have to take more so chances cool. yeah i will say it's not perfect i think the main thing about it is that the asteroids aren't random when they come through so you've got the same pattern that's always coming through which kind of hinders the game a lot i think but i think of the pre-74 era it's the best game to me and it's also an amazing game in terms of its relevance because it's atari's second game so pong comes right. out it obviously it's a hit but you know imagine if touch me was the next game <laughs> that right. atari made they could have just like <laughs> faded away into nothing you know but instead they made like an amazing game right off the gate after pong and that kind of cemented their legacy of we're going to make cool innovative unique games and make them good so absolutely yeah, and I, I think it's a good point that you make, especially with all these older games, when we're rating something as our favorite, even if it's not like perfect because it's not up to like current game standards, saying like, well, it'd be awesome if someone made a modern version of that is like pretty high praise because yeah. it's just like the soul of the game is what you want to see. And it's like still fun, even if it in its 71 or 73 state. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, like no game got I think over a five other than Pong. So Yeah. It's not it's not like these games are amazing games by any stretch, but it's the heart and soul of what are going to become our favorite games. And Space Race to me is a game that has a lot of heart and soul, but you know, I feel like its full potential hasn't been realized yet. So it's something I really like would look forward to see in any other capacity. I'm hoping yeah. that we we come across one because you know we we go through a lot of games that we've not heard of before. So yeah, we possible. haven't looked ahead much. There could be either a clone or I don't know if there was ever a space race too. But hopefully, yeah. there's something in there. They've, there were some ports of it, but they were just exact clones. So right. But yeah, that space race obviously made a big impact on both of us, um, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, me me not even playing that one, it stood out to me. So I think that's pretty pretty big uh good sign for it <laughs> yeah the other thing is interesting is neither of us pick pong and i i was thinking about picking pong but uh yeah i think the original is actually not as good as i remember when i was it's no i mean it's, it's definitely the name recognition that i feel like carries it a lot like yeah. and also part of me is a non-conformist and it's like oh, i can't pick pong that's too easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good game we should say that but there's, is, there's, there's yeah. a lot of good games that were released in this time so yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Magnavox games, right? <laughs> no, and both of the Magnavox games made our uh, two of our least favorites were the Magnavox ones too. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Although I do love the inventiveness of the Magnavox, but I wouldn't go back and play them. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I mean, we'll play it again because uh, 
they're going to make some other stuff. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. I think with that, why don't we get right into the timeline? Yeah, let's go for it. everybody and welcome back and now without any further ado let's get right into our timeline and so to start off we have a couple honorable mentions before we start covering some of the consoles that were released in 1974 so the first thing i had is crossfire by volley this was released in 74 sometime and basically it was just a clone of tv pinball and next uh table foosballer <laughs> by exidy in late 1974 and this one we don't really have a lot of information on, other than that it was some sort of Pong clone. Classic. <laughs> As per usual. Yeah. <laughs> and then next up, uh, you're going to get us started with uh, some of the consoles that we had in 74, right? Yeah. So three different consoles came out in late 74, I think all around like the holiday season. And this is pretty exciting because I, these are like the first unique consoles that we've seen since the Magnavox Odyssey. There were a couple of Odyssey ripoffs that we covered in 73, but these ones are actually unique and tried to do their own things, although I think their objectives were a little bit different from the Odyssey. So the one I covered first is Pingotronic, is the console name, the Pingotronic console, and this um, came out in Italy. It was released by an Italian furniture company called Zanussi, <laughs> which is pretty good, and it's kind of weird. There's a whole bunch of iterations of the Pingotronic, but the 1974 versions are anywhere from the PP1 to the PP4. Is how they kind of distinguish it. So there's four versions there. They all did basically the same thing. I don't know why there are so many different versions, but uh, <laughs> so for all intents and purposes, I'm reviewing like the PP4. So basically, what this console was is basically a home version of Pong, where you could play Pong the like sort of classic version they call that tennis you could also play squash which is your sort of handball variant or it's one player and you hit it against a wall and then their last game quote unquote game that you could play was an automatic or otherwise known as like an attract mode and basically this was just meant to sell the console so you would if you were a store owner you would set up the console in a window or whatever and the attract mode basically made it so that all four edges were, you know, the ball would just bounce off of. So it was just like a forever ball mode where you could just watch the ball be hit between the boxes forever. Like basically yeah. watching the uh, the DVD idle screen and trying waiting for it to go and hit the corner. Yeah, it was a way for <laughs> to show people, you know, a little bit about the console and the shop window and hopefully sell it. But you didn't really play that version. You only really played tennis or squash. So um. A couple of things that, that made this console unique and interesting is, unfortunately, there's no scorekeeping, but there were you know, like boundaries as far as the paddles were concerned. So it was Pong, the Atari version of Pong, unlike the Magnavox, where you can move your paddles anywhere in any direction, even to the other player's side. This one, you were stuck on the edges like a paddle would be in on Pong, which... I think makes the game a lot better. So, right. <laughs> um, that was cool. There's still no sound here, and there's no extra games. There's no overlays. So, it's a very bare bones and basic 
sort of version, but it is Pong in your own home. It was cheaper. I'm not quite sure exactly how much it sold for, but it was definitely a lot cheaper than the Magnavox. So I think it sold okay, and they would end up releasing more versions of this console in 75, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see. I feel like this is almost like a scaled back version compared to the Odyssey, but because of that, you know, maybe they were able to sell more and make make the gameplay a little bit more to what people were expecting at that time. So, right, you can kind of keep it trimmed down. People might not really want at that time ten different games that they might not play all of them, but maybe two more polished games that they can get into for a little cheaper than however much you're shelling out for the uh, Odyssey. Right. So, um, yeah, that was again the Pingatronic, released in Italy. So. These European countries are getting in the in the mix. Why don't you go ahead and talk about your next one, Wes, which was also kind of European. Yeah, so this was um, one that was made in Britain. It's the Video Sport Mark II. Uh, as far as we could find, we don't think there was a Mark I, at least that was publicly released. I like the idea that they might have just named it this because it sounded cooler, but I don't know if that's actually what was going on. Yeah. And this is interesting because it was made by a, I think it was a TV retailer called Henry's in Britain. So it's funny that in other countries, some of these home systems are being made by either like furniture or TV retailers as just like a little side product that they might be able to sell to get some extra money. And it's speculated that this sold less than 3,000 units in its first two years, which I don't think was a lot for the time, so it didn't sell super well. It's also kind of crazy that the Video Sport Mark II was most of them were hand assembled instead of automatic. So apparently, they the controllers and the main system could sometimes come with a bunch of different color buttons because it was just whatever they could get their hands on when they were building it. Nice. <laughs> and on the system, there were three different games that you could play. Uh, the first one was tennis, which was similar more to the um, Odyssey version of tennis where you could kind of move the paddles all over the screen but it was basically just you know pong or tennis tennis on the odyssey Uh, the next one that they had was a little bit different and it was football where on either side there was a solid wall with a gap in the middle uh, which was to represent like the soccer goal and then your paddle was basically each player acting as the goalie so not too different and i think the horizontal direction was also locked for those for that game but i'm not positive about that and the last game that they had on there was called hole in the wall where one player was a wall that had a hole in it and the other was a paddle who was trying to hit the ball into the hole and this one was weird because the wall could move vertically using their controls but the player who was the paddle controlled the horizontal movement for both the paddle and the wall at the same time Okay. So when the paddle moved closer, the wall moved closer to it as well, and the wall couldn't decide where it was moving horizontally. <laughs> so not sure why. Strange, strange choice. <laughs> yeah. And that one, the goal, if you're the wall, is to like move the hole away from the ball, right? You don't want it in your yes. hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great way to phrase that. <laughs> and th- this one also didn't have uh, any scoring on it either, so I guess you could as the wall just kind of decide when you win because i don't know if you would ever really win <laughs> just <laughs> that's a, a good point yeah <laughs> it's a non-stop game of keep away i guess i mean you can only lose when you're the wall <laughs> yeah but this one the controllers were interesting it was uh there was one button on the top to serve 
And then other than that, it was just two dials, one for vertical movement and one for horizontal movement. And they actually looked like they were either fake or possibly real wood, or maybe just with a probably a fake like wood grain looking mm. texture on the top of it. So this was uh, some fancy looking stuff, but probably not actually that fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was pretty much all I had for that one. So then we had one more console that we were going to cover today. Ben, you want to take that one away? Yeah, this is by far, I think, the best one, which is the Video Master Home TV Game, <laughs> which is the, a terrible title for it, but whatever. <laughs> um, what made this one so good, it had a couple of features, but the main thing is, you know how you got your two rectangles for when you're playing the Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. On this one, one of the rectangles was striped. It had vertical stripes in it, and that meant that you always knew who player one was and who player two was, which right then and there, I was like, oh yeah, this is much better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's super hard to tell. You got two white squares. If they get mixed up somehow, you're totally lost. But on this one, they never get mixed up. So that was really cool. It also had some sound. It had some bleeps for sound, which is pretty interesting. I'm wow, that's sure. pretty crazy for a home system, I feel like. I know. I'm not sure if I can find a sound clip of that, but if I can, I'll put it in here. But if not, I won't put it in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it had some uh, bleeps and bloops for sound, uh, which is pretty cool. I also want to say there was a, a Mark II version released in 75, but it had no changes to gameplay, so I'm just kind of grouping them up. The games that it came with were Tennis, uh, the odyssey version so including horizontal movement you also had squash which is a another handball variant which we've seen for pingatronic 2 and our final game was football which was basically like hockey or soccer from some of the arcade machines where basically you had two small holes on either side of the screen that you would only lose a point if the ball went in that small hole so rather than the whole edge of the screen it was just a smaller part of the screen and i actually read that that game was actually a pretty big uh, feature of this console because in order to do that you had to have like half of the edge on the top and half the edge on the bottom be you know allow the ball to be hit back and and have them be solid uh, walls of collision and then have the opening in the middle so to have that and also the paddles apparently was pretty hard for the time so Hmm. that was like its big selling point i guess (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this one was released in well it was made in britain and then it sold all throughout uh europe basically it sold to britain france and germany so it was a really interesting one i love the addition of the striped box and it's such a simple thing but when you look at screenshots and stuff from the video master you can definitely tell which one has stripes and it definitely made, would make the game a lot better. I think it might even yes. make, if you're like younger, you might be like, Oh, I want to play as a stripe one, you know, <laughs> who knows not any different, but right. Yeah. I mean like favorite characters almost. And, yeah. And it's funny that something small like that. I mean, the amount of times with these early games that I've been mentioning score at the top of the screen is like a huge benefit. It's like even a small change like that makes a huge difference in games like this. Yeah, this one didn't have score, but it, the striped like it's such a small thing as you mentioned, but it makes a massive difference. And then also have yeah. the sound. You know, that's a small right. thing, but it's a it's a big thing. It's kind of makes the most sense to me that the video master 
in my opinion, is the best of these consoles, and it's also the one that is going to have the most success in the future. So we're definitely going to see them next year and uh, even in the years after that. So, yeah. So, again, that was Pingatronic, PP1 to PP4, (laughs) the Video Sport, which you did, Mark II, and the Video Mm -hmm. Master, which I wish they would have some more original names, but unfortunately... (laughs) Not going to get there for a while, I guess. Yeah. They all had a a tennis version, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that was part of the, some of the way to sell consoles at the time, I'm sure, because it's such a popular game mode. Yeah. Very interesting. And it's interesting that the Pingatronic is the only one, other than maybe football for for years, that had the uh, Pong style where you're only allowed to go vertically. Yeah. All, all of the Video Master games were Odyssey-style controls. So. Yeah, now that I think about it, the football might have been probably had the horizontal movement, but mm-hmm. yeah, hard to say. Yeah, so it's very interesting. I feel like each one had a unique element to it. Like the Pingatronic had the attract mode, you know, the, the window selling mode. Right. And, and yours had hole in the wall, which I thought was very unique. Yeah, yeah. And then the Video Master had the, had the stripes and the sound and stuff, so... I thought it was nice to see some clones that they all did their own thing a little bit differently and weren't just a blatant ripoff of the Odyssey. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wasn't just, hey, look, it's not the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the consoles of 1974. We couldn't play any of them because there's no emulation, but we definitely wanted to tell you guys about them. And why don't we move on from there, Wes? You want to keep it going? Yeah, so the next one we have, uh, we're getting into some computer games now that came out in 74. And this is an honorable mention we had called Biosign. It was in the People's Computer Company. Uh, I don't know if you call it magazine or issue or... Probably uh, newsletter, I think. Newsletter, yeah. And it was also, I think, done by the Lawrence Hall of Science. And this one wasn't really a game, but it was just an interesting little thing that came up in 74 where you would put in some information about yourself and then a sign chart would be generated over a uh, like year-long view of the calendar and basically show you when your top performance would be throughout the year. And that's about all we know about it. <laughs> it was kind of like a horoscope thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it would be totally random or what. Maybe cancers like me always had a... Never had good peak performance or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, it had to do with like um, you had to answer questions. I don't remember what the questions were, but it was like your peak mental performance will be in May or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then next, we're going to move on to one that I actually uh, didn't get a chance to play, but reviewed a little bit more in depth and gave a rating to, called Bulls and Cleots. Cleots. I have no idea how to say it. <laughs> Um, but I've this is another Cleots, one. I don't know. Cleots, that sounds about right to me. And this is another one that was in the People's Computer Company newsletter. And this uh, was by D. Austin Stevens. And it was basically, basically a variation of a previous number guessing game that had come out called Bulls and Cows. And in this game, you have to guess a string of characters generated by a computer while the computer tries to guess the string that uh, you create. And whoever gets it first wins, basically. Okay. It's pretty confusing. I, uh, it's very like abstract and mathy. And when I say characters, it's just because instead of being a number guessing game like bulls and cows, this one could be either 
numbers, letters, or symbols. So it's funny because I think they phrased it as like a word guessing game, but the example they gave is like parenthesis, period, asterisk, asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a word, but I see what you're getting at. <laughs> and I'm not sure uh, one of the main things of this is when you start off, you get to set what characters you want to be used. And you can pick like, I saw a range from uh, four different available characters to like 10. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if there was a max limit on there of what you could do. But then you also say how long you want the word or the string to be. And I don't know if you could go very high on that either. I mean, it seems like it would be hard enough to figure out what was going on with just a five-digit or character-long string. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe you could go up to 10. I don't know. (laughs) But when you guess, the bulls and cleats where that comes in is a bull is when you guess a character correctly, and also it is in the correct position in the string. So like, if you guessed one, two, three, four, five, and the actual thing was five, two, four, two, one, or something like that, then you would get a bull for the second two in there because correct position and also the correct character. Okay. And a cleat is when it's a correct character, but in the wrong position. And I'm not going to give an example of that because my brain's already getting a little <laughs> twisted. But basically, you know, there's like, you said there was a two, but you just got it in the wrong place and there actually was a two. Okay. And this madness just uh, keeps going back and forth until you narrow it down and someone guesses all bulls or in the uh, very mathy way that the person worded it. If N is the length of the string, then you have to guess N bulls to win. God. <laughs> yeah, I was reading through this. I'm like, oh man, it makes me feel like I'm packing like AP Calc in high school or algebra or something. And also one of the, I was watching a video of somebody playing bulls and cows, which is very similar to this. And the instructions in that stated something about you can lie to the computer because you just, the the number you, or the string you make up, you don't have to enter anywhere into the program. You just have to tell the computer when it puts a random guess out there, hey, you got three bulls and one cleat or whatever. Oh yeah. (laughs) So you can just lie to it. But I don't know if it ever figures it out, if that's programmed in, or if it just never figures it out and you can just constantly lie to it. Wow. <laughs> Seems pretty cruel, and I don't know what the point would be. But <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to get one up on this computer that's just trying to guess your random string, then uh, you can. So for my ratings for this one, I'll be honest, uh, I was pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. Zero out of ten for graphics. It's a text game. And... Uh, when I saw the person playing bulls and cows, there was a nice illustration of a cow, but this didn't even have anything. No illustrations, so it gets oh, nothing. No illustrations. <laughs> There's not even an alligator teaching math? No, unless that was on the next page. I didn't oh. scroll down. <laughs> <laughs> For sound, a 0 out of 10 text game again. Uh, I had written here that just the sound a soul makes when there's no fun to be had is all you can hear. Oh my god, <laughs> that's pretty ruthless. I was in a very dramatic mood when I reviewed this game. It's not actually that bad, but <laughs> all right. For gameplay, I gave it a one out of ten. I thought it was nice that there is variable difficulty to switch it up from bulls and cows, where it was kind of always a five number sequence, and uh, it was always zero through nine. You couldn't really change it up at all. But this one, you have a lot of different options for. You could have ten different characters available for a four string long or a four character long string. So if you are into that and like all the different mathematical and crazy like logic kind of things, not logic, I guess, more mathematical um, deductions you can make, try and figure it out, then there's a lot of options for you there. But for me, 
if I'm trying to play a game, you're still just guessing numbers and trying to figure out what you guessed wrong. So it's not really a game that I'd have a lot of fun playing. <laughs> uh, for the relevance, I was going to give it really low, but I did give it, well, still pretty low, a 2 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Because I think it expanded on the possibilities of what a computer could do. So it's significant in that sense. And it's possible that some of the code from this could be, you know, like hidden in the background or like the ideas from this of games that we love today. But it's hard to make the connection and say, oh, yeah, this definitely led to like being able to play World of Warcraft or something like that. Right. Like, <laughs> I think the idea is probably important, but it's hard to see the relevance there if there yeah. is any. I mean, it is like part of the People's Computer Company newsletter, which, as we know, a lot of different people were reading that and learning how to code from it. So, you know, who's to say one of them didn't go on to build something really cool? So, right. Yeah. And I feel like this idea is just like in the limited like programming experience I have, it's something that would be like right up there with like teaching experiments of how to learn programming and stuff like that. So, maybe it's abstract sort of relevance. But overall, since we are talking about games that we're playing and whether or not we're having fun playing this game, I gave it a uh, 1 out of 10 rating. Uh, I think someone out there might have fun playing it, but it's really not my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, so I like the idea of it, but not something I want to sit down and play. <laughs> Understandable. So moving on from Bulls and Cleots, we've got the next game that I rated, which is also from the same people computer company newsletter, which this one came out in November, by the way. So... All these games are from November. This one's called Beyond Bagels. And, uh, <laughs> I, I realized as you were talking through yours, I basically played the same game as US, except it's I was only wondering numbers. that when I read Bagels, so I hope I didn't uh, talk too long on that. But <laughs> no, not at all. The, this is basically the same game. I wasn't able to play Beyond Bagels. I only had like a sample run to look at, but the original Bagels I was able to play. So I played the original and then kind of read about what they changed and to be honest the what they changed was actually a pretty good change so basically there was no versus the computer on this one i should say it was just you had to guess the computer's number and you had to do it within 20 guesses i believe which was very easy to do so basically the computer picks a three digit number and you have to try to guess it so a good guess to begin might be like one two three and it gives you points based upon how many of those numbers are in the computer's number and if they're in the correct position. So you get two points if one of the numbers is in the computer's number, but it's in the wrong position, and you get three points if it's in the computer's number and it's in the right position. You know, for instance, if the computer picked four, five, six, and I picked two, three, four, I just get two points because there's a four in both numbers, but it's in the wrong position. Or right. is this kind of, you know, it's it is a similar, similar way of a bull and cleat. Yeah, just having a, a point system instead. Right. So I do think the point system makes a little bit more sense than the bull and cleat thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it also, you know, since you're not versing a computer, you just have 20 guesses. And I can guarantee you, you're going to guess this three digit number within 20 guesses. I, I played a couple games, and if you. Ha- or just following what's what could happen or what should be happening, you're going to get it within like 10 or 15 guesses at the most. So it's a very, very easy one, I think. And because of that, it wasn't very interesting to play. <laughs> All these number guessing games, I don't know if these two were influenced by 
each other? I know both of them, a game came out previously, so... I thought I had seen that Bulls and Cows was influenced by the original Bagels, but yeah, I do, I do think positive. Bagels. I do think the Bagels came out first in the first yeah. Basic 101 book, and then in the 1970... was it 3 book or 74 book? That's when Bulls and Cows was in. And now, in 74, we're getting sequels to those. Right. For some reason. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah. Beyond Bagels. It's it's not very good. I uh, Obviously, I didn't really know about Bulls and Cleats when I was rating this. I, I kind of compared it more to Button, which I played last episode. Okay. Again, that one's kind of like a guessing game as well. So I was kind of using that to base my scores off of. And I didn't think Beyond Bagels was worse than that. Because that one wasn't very good either. <laughs> but uh, so I give the gameplay a two out of ten. I think it's okay for a, a number guessing game, but it's not good. So <laughs> two out of ten is probably pretty generous. Mm-hmm. Um, for graphics, I gave it a point five out of ten because it's just text based. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad giving the zero because it is <laughs> it is just a number guessing game. Like, what else would I even want there? I don't know. <laughs> That's true. I was pretty ruthless. Uh, that's totally fine for sound obviously it's a zero and for relevance i gave it a two and a half out of ten which is like a little higher than button i think because at least this one was a sequel to something so obviously it improved on the original and i guess because of that it's kind of relevant (laughs) like i I don't want anyone to go back and play the original bagels game when this is out i guess so (laughs) um you know it's okay (laughs) but yeah, these computer games at the end of 74 are not really the ones we're looking for. So, <laughs> Not knocking it out of the park, nah. Yeah. So l- let's keep moving on. West, your next game is a good game. Why don't you talk to us about Tank 2? Yeah. So this one is another interesting one, because a lot of Tank 2 is really similar to Tank 1, but it does make a few changes. <laughs> or maybe one change, I'm not sure. Uh, that <laughs> improve it a little bit so uh like i said it's basically just slightly modified tank from what i could find it was basically changed a little bit to capitalize on the sales from the original tank and a couple sources say that it was released in december of 74 but there also are some saying it was early 75 so we're not too sure but we wanted to throw it in with a 74 74 category because it felt like it fit there Mm And this, it reportedly did sell well, but not as well as the original tank. Probably because the original tank machines were still working when yeah, they were still selling <laughs> those ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they did make the small changes, and it sounded like they kind of set themselves up so they could make a couple different small changes in the future, so that they could keep selling the quote unquote new versions of tank. So the main change for this one is a pretty good one, and that's uh, it, that it has a different map layout. So the barriers basically that showed up or like the maze that was on the screen when in the original tank could be different, but it also could have the same one there. And as far as I could tell, this was something that was programmed before you got the arcade cabinet. But I think once you had it, you also had the option of changing it to a different map. But I'm not positive because there's not a ton of information on tank two. Yeah, I think Uh, I saw in the video that I sent you, the uh, the track looked like it changed in the middle of the game. You see that? Yes. Yeah. And so the, the video that we had that we looked at for this one, the 
map or the maze, whatever you want to call it, changed every time that a player was hit. Which that's what I'm going to assume how it worked all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw another one briefly say that it just could be changed, so it was a little bit vague about when it happened. But it seems like it happens whenever the player was hit. And if that's the way that it worked, that is an interesting change because it can kind of really throw a wrench in the gameplay in a way that could be pretty fun. Yeah. It could and, like alter that problem of the first game where two people were just facing each other and just continuously bombing one another. <laughs> right, yeah. If a barrier pops up in between you guys right after you get hit, then it kind right. of separates you, forces some space to be made, and you got to reassess this situation and go back at it. Yeah. But as far as the gameplay, everything else was pretty much the same as the original tank. You're just two tanks on a map, seeking each other out, avoiding the mines, and shooting each other. You get points for shooting the other player. And you also get a point if the other player hits mine. And whoever gets the most points by the time the timer runs out wins. Uh, so when going through my ratings, I kept it pretty much the same as the original tank. Graphics, I gave a 3 out of 10. Uh, because nothing really changed about the graphics other than the fact that you could have the different map. And I'm going to reflect that more in the gameplay side of the score. For sound, I gave it a 4 out of 10. I think they did improve the sound slightly for this cabinet, but... Still pretty much the same thing that was going on with the original. The gameplay, I gave it a 4.5 out of 10, slight increase, yeah. uh, because I do like the addition of a new layout for the map. I think that that really switches it up and it makes it a little bit less stale because you're not playing the same maze the every single time. Um, and also having it trigger every time a player is hit, like we mentioned, kind of creates some interesting situations. If you're right up next to each other, you could get divided when the map changes. Or if you're far away kind of sniping and you hit somebody, then your shot's blocked because a wall might pop up right in front of them. So it does create a couple different interesting situations, adds another layer to it that wasn't in the original game. And for relevance, here's where I kind of knocked it down a bunch because it's still a popular game, but not really as relevant as the first tank. So I gave it a 4 out of 10. And it does make some cool changes by switching up the map and uh, improving the sound, but not much else has really changed there. So overall, I gave it a 3.5 out of 10. Not much different, but just like the original tank, it's still a fun game. Nice. I, I kind of wanted to, to play that one, but unfortunately, I have to play the next one. Because <laughs> that was the only one that could play it. Before I get into the next one, I, I want to make a quick update. Beyond Bagels, I don't think I gave my final score, which was one point. Two five out of ten. So, got it. That's, my, right. that's the same thing I gave Button basically. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Moving on to my next game, the last one I reviewed in depth for today is called Air Fight, and I've also seen people misspell it as Air Flight, but it's Air Fight. <laughs> so, this is a follow up to a game called Air Ace, which we covered in the last episode. It was by the developers of Space Sim. This is the third game by the developers of Space Sim. And okay. It's a 3D flight simulator that I could play this time. And I had to do it through that weird Cyber 1P terminal thing, which only right. I, I have because I had to like request access, become a member or whatever. So <laughs> I didn't want to make you do that. So I, I took on Air Fight. Much and, appreciated. Yeah. Because just navigating to the game is ridiculous. <laughs> One of these things I should, I should just tell you how I do it, Wes, because. <laughs> You have to know how bad this is. You start the launcher, okay? It asks for your your name, which is your mm-hmm. full name, and then you hit enter, 
And then it says, what is your group name? Which is something they assign you in your invitation and email. So for me, it's like Cosmos and I have to type in Cosmos and then I have to hit shift control S <laughs> and that takes me to your password. You have to enter your password and then it just says, uh, what would you like to do? And just list a blank console. <laughs> so I have to type in big jump, which lists all the program. Why big jump? I have no idea. So I go there and I can see like a game called air fight but it's got a zero in the name. So I had to go back to the main menu. So to do that, I hit control B and then I type in zero air fight start. And then it's like, do you want to edit this game or play this game? If you want to edit, type in your password. If you want to play, hit data, which is control D. So it's control <laughs> D and then you're in the main menu of the game. I did enter to start the game. Then uh, you're finally kind of in, but I was like, oh my God. Wow, that's a lot just to get to playing the game. Yeah, and all that stuff had to be like learned. Like it was not right. easy to do. So um, anyway, I kind of ranted there. I'm sorry. You're but, good. <laughs> yeah. Air fight. So basically, this game reminds me a lot of Space Sim, which, if you remember, is like the first person base game that I spent like three hours and could barely control or do anything. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's by the same people, and to be honest, I feel like this is a step a step in the right direction because the first like two times I played, you start on the ground, you're in a jet fighter this time. So the objectives are basically the same. You have to like take off, find other players, shoot them down, and return to base and get refueled, and then take off again. And that's sort of the gameplay. And it's a multiplayer online game. Although when I was playing, there wasn't anyone else online, so I couldn't do any combat. <laughs> but I tried twice to log on and, and take off, but I couldn't figure out how to take off. So I just sat there on the runway. <laughs> uh, but the third time I tried, they had this option where you were in like a stealth bomber or something like that. And it began the game in the air. And I was like, oh, perfect. There <laughs> you go. Just be in the air. So I did that for the rest of my time. And basically the whole point of what I was trying to do was just how can I control the aircraft, make turns, you know, increase, decrease elevation, you know, roll and yaw and all that stuff. And it was super confusing, but it took me a lot, like a much shorter time to learn than Space Sim did. I think that's kind of a couple of main reasons of that. One is, if you imagine in Space Sim, like imagine you're looking out the cockpit window and it's just black in every direction because you're in the middle of space. So... Figuring out your bearings is really difficult. But if you're in a jet fighter above Earth, you've got a horizon line in front of you. So you always know, like, if that horizon line is pretty far to the top of your screen, that means you're, like, looking down, basically. And if you kind of go up to be more horizontal, it'll be more in the horizontal section of the screen. So that really helps with your bearings. And also, if you're like flying sideways, you know, like one wing is up in the air, the ground will look diagonal, you know, because it's diagonal to you. So just that line alone makes this game way better than Space Sim, (laughs) I think, in terms of its gameplay. (laughs) And also how you control the aircraft was easier as well. Um, For whatever reason, like I, I still didn't understand everything. Like there were certain... I don't remember what the terms were but like some pitch or yaw or something like that where i just couldn't figure out how to control it but right for the most part i could control the aircraft and be pretty 
fluent in it. So it wasn't too bad. Whereas with Space Sim, it took me forever just to figure out how to go forward. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't as bad on this one. Although, again, I I never figured out how to take off, so I should mention that. um, (laughs) Not important. Yeah, not important. (laughs) The other thing is, if you imagine looking at a map of a 3D space universe or something like that, it's a lot more complicated than looking at a map, like a 2D map of the ground below you. So using the map in air fight is a lot easier and you can get your bearings a lot easier than you can space sim. So that's also really nice. The third thing I want to quickly mention is in space sim, for whatever reason, you could change the camera angle. So you could take, you could like look from the perspective of like a planet and watch your spaceship leave in like a weird third person way. Okay. You can't do that in air fight, which makes it a lot more simple and, a lot easier to navigate so i i liked some of those simple or you know mechanics of it it helped a lot <laughs> it was still <laughs> a mouthful i showed you a couple screenshots like it was oh, yeah. terrible but absolutely um it took me probably like 45 minutes to figure out how to fly in this one or as it took me like three hours in space sim so <laughs> definitely better that's um, an improvement <laughs> yeah for sure so Moving into my ratings, because I feel like I've been talking a while. <laughs> for graphics, I didn't give give it that high because, for one thing, I didn't see anybody else. So, And since you can only look out the front of your airplane, I couldn't even see what the shape of my plane was. Right. But I still give it a 1.5 out of 10. It is first person. It is in 3D space. And the horizon line is something that kind of changes. You know, uh, it's more of like a cyclical sort of updating of the graphics or something so it's it's not like in real time but it definitely is a really interesting and unique first person shooter in an era where other than maze war this is the only other team that are doing this kind of work so i have to respect that a lot yeah um for sound at zero there was no sound uh, it is a computer game for gameplay <laughs> i gave it a two out of ten this is slightly higher than space sim but it's still not great because, again, I never figured out how combat worked. I never figured out how to land and take off. There are still plenty of controls. I had no idea what they did. <laughs> I will say the tutorial for this was a little bit better than the Space Sim. It showed me most of the controls. But uh, interestingly enough, what I came to learn as being the pedals of the aircraft, which you could control... That part of the tutorial was bugged out, so I couldn't read it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure these pedals do something, but I don't know what. <laughs> so if you're an airline fighter out there, let me know what pedals do. There's two of them. There's one on either side. And they kind of, if one goes up, one goes down. I don't really know what it does. but Not sure. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of extra controls that I have no clue what they were. There was like, um, oh, Half flaps. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like there's a there's a thing called flaps, and I was like, what that what does that do? <laughs> but yeah, you also had afterburners, you had air brakes, you had transmitters, like tons of stuff that I was like, why would you any ever do this? <laughs> and I never touched any of it, but you know, just if you just take it as like a sort of like an air air jet fighter simulator or something like that, it could be pretty cool. Um, so that's kind of how yeah, I was a trying to simple it. flight sim for the time. It kind of gets yeah. easy enough to learn that and do what you want to do in that. Yeah. 
for relevance, I gave it six and a half out of ten, which is a little bit lower than Space Sim because Space Sim was like arguably the first FPS game of all time. Right. Whereas this is like the fourth, but still, it's you know one of the earliest out there, and it's the only group of people that are trying to build upon the first-person shooter genre right now. So. I have to give some credit to them, and I do think that the changes they made to Space Sim were changes in the right direction. So, I thought, you know, it definitely deserves some praise there. I don't think it, it was a terribly bad game, but definitely still way too complicated for compared to games for today, so. <laughs> um, overall, I gave it 2.5 out of 10. It's okay. <laughs> I'm glad I played it, but I probably wouldn't recommend anyone going and playing it now. That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, <laughs> by the way, all the graphics were still the, the wireframe vector ve- graphics, so that didn't really change. I think overall, right. actually, it wasn't as interesting to look at graphically because, you know, the runway was basically just a little tower, you know, for the little runway tower. And there wasn't anything on the ground, just black space. Whereas the other game, you had, like, those unique space stations and, like, weird... Star Trek looking ships and stuff so I do think they made it a little bit simpler in that respect as well but yeah Air Fight it's a, it's a unique one a different one and is a second to last game that came out in 1974 that came out in late 74 so Wes why don't you wrap up this episode yeah and wrap up 74 at the same time I guess uh, so the last one we had was just a honorable mention and it was Speed Race by Fuji, and this is either a clone or a port of uh, Taito's Speed Race. Yep, nothing new at the end, unfortunately. Nothing new there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess uh, with that, we pretty much covered all of that. Any uh, final words to wrap up 1974, Ben? Uh, what a year. <laughs> what a year. <laughs> yeah, 1974 was by far the, the longest and most interesting year that I think we've covered. I do think 75 will be uh, even better, so I'm very much looking forward to it. I think we'll talk about some, you know, some overall things about 74 and the special topic in next week's episodes. So I don't want to get too into it, but it was definitely interesting looking at the uh, the different consoles this this episode and also a couple of the late computer games that came out. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to sometime in the future be looking at what our favorites were from this uh year yeah i think we'll do it next episode that makes sense to me so sounds like a plan yeah that'll be fun i think with that we'll wrap it up uh please visit our website check out our twitter send us emails i don't know you guys know the deal by now so (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah anything to wrap it up you want to say wes no, I think we pretty much covered everything. Thank you for uh, listening to us so far, and we look forward to giving more content to you guys in the future. All right. I think we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. See you later.